Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us today. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is a glorious day in Jesus. We're good to have you here. We're here typically Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching in the Word of God. And presently, we're kind of at, the, at the, the latter end of our study on the book of the Revelation and we've been doing pretty much a uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse study of the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, uh, if you haven't been with us in the past, well, this is actually our 60th class today. But we've made available these classes to you for free download by going to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com. And you can go in there, and I believe we have 43 of those available for you, and we'll have the rest of them available uh, sometime in the next few days. And so go in there and download those, and you have them for your own uh, use. There's no uh, copyright on those things. There's no uh, uh, fee to download. There's no, no cost whatsoever. We do this for your benefit and to hopefully give you an opportunity to get into the Word a little bit deeper. So thank you so much for coming. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, uh, go to that website, biggrace.com, and check out all the, the, our links that are on there. Uh, we got some on there, some that are some more that are coming, and God is just doing some tremendous things through through Raven Ministries. Raven's actually an acronym for Restoring a Vision and Evangelizing Nations, and folks, that's what we're really all about. We're up, we're about lifting up one name, and that name is Jesus. And so we're we're what we call ourselves unapologetic Jesus freaks. And so if you want to know our our uh, our religious or political affiliation, we just have one. It's called Jesus freaks. We just love Jesus, and we just believe that He's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. And so we want to go out and preach a message of truth and righteousness. And one of the ways we do that is to teach people the Word of God. And so go on there, check it out, BigGrace.com. Also, we have uh, 197 hours of teaching from the Book of Romans, which I think would be very beneficial to to anyone. That would desire just a really a deeper study into the, the doctrines of the Christian faith. I call it the Magna Carta of the New Testament, the book of Romans. And if you're going to start a Bible study, really, if you have a foundation in the book of Romans, everything else really opens up to you. And I think you'll get a greater understanding. So, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have questions on anything... Concerning the teaching here in, Revela- in, in the book of the Revelation or on anything else, send those questions to raven at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com. If you have prayer requests, send those to pray at biggrace.com. We'd love to lift up your prayers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of that, you know, I had to jump up from my seat and go uh, share this a minute ago. Uh, you know, we've been praying. You see on here uh, with us uh, uh, our friend and, and keyboard player, Sue, who had been uh, going through a whole lot of situations physically. Went into the doctor, uh, I guess yesterday, I guess it was, I'm trying to look at the reports, and uh, they had basically had told her she has all these tumors and whatnot in her lower abdomen, and just not a good report. Went in, they found nothing. So really a shout out to Jesus for that. And, uh, you know, she had a word the other day, she was at our discipleship, and I just was asking people what the Lord had been speaking, and she said the Lord told her that that was a sickness not unto death, and God is faithful. 
and he is the healer. You know, it's funny, I was singing that healer song this morning as we was walking around the house that, you know, I believe that you're my healer. I believe that you are all I need. And so praise God for that. And I believe that, that God is going to finish the work that he has begun. He is faithful to complete all those things that he's done. And he's no respecter of persons. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. So praise Jesus for that. And I get a little bit happy this morning when I hear that. So praise God for that. We're just going to continue to pray uh, through and just believe God for something incredible. We could do a whole hour just on rejoicing and shouting and praising God just for that report. So praise God for it. Looking forward to more. And the final report on that is just God is totally healed. Uh, and restored her and so if you have prayer requests send those in we want to lift them up in prayer and just believe in the prayer of faith still heals the sick once again folks thank you for joining us again i'm 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 sidetracked just because i'm just i rejoice with my sister because we've been praying for her for so so long so folks listen we're going to uh dive into the 60th uh our 60th class here today in the 20th chapter in the book of revelation maybe if you look ahead you realize there's only 22 chapters so we're rapidly kind of coming to wrapping up our our study uh, in this really a powerful book. And don't forget, you know, the scripture tells us right there in, in the first chapter, you know, that, that we're blessed when we begin to read and study this. And I hope that you've seen why as we've, we've kind of moved through the, these, these 20 chapters so far and studied, you see just how blessed you are because I believe people get a greater, a greater grasp and a greater understanding of the things that God is speaking. So let's go to the Lord Prayer. Just ask for His blessing, His direction today and for His outpouring, uh, in this place, just give us wisdom and understanding concerning His Word. Father, we just thank You for this day, Lord God. And Father, I just rejoice, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Lord God, the Word says when one mourns, we all mourn, but when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And so, Father, I thank You today, Lord God, that we can rejoice together, Lord God, that, that You are our healer, Lord God, that You're all, our, all that we need, that You're our portion, Lord God, that Your hand is not shortened, Lord God, that You cannot heal, that You cannot deliver. So, Father, we rejoice in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the blood still... The delivers, Lord God, and the blood is still the antidote, Lord God, for every infirmity, Lord God, that would, would try to, to capsize us in the faith. Father, we just rejoice and thank you, Lord God, for who you are, Lord God, and that you're not a man that you should lie, Lord God, and you're not the son of a man that you should repent. We glorify the name of Jesus, Lord God. So, Father, as we come into this place today, Lord God, we come, Lord God, just humbled at your presence, Lord God, humbled at your power, your majesty, and your faithfulness, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we're, we're but a speck, Lord God. We are but a speck. But, Lord God, this speck you love, Lord God, you loved enough to send your son Jesus, Lord God, to, to, to die, Lord God, vicariously upon the cross of Calvary, Lord God, that we might be saved, we might be delivered, that we might be healed in Jesus' name, Lord God. So, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, um, for even healing, Lord God, our unbelief. Lord God, not just our physical bodies, Lord God, but, but Father, just, just, just showing us, Lord God, just how magnificent, Lord God, that you are. And so, Lord God, we come today and we glorify you and we thank you. Father, that you're unveiling yourself now, but Lord God, you're even going to unveil yourself, Lord God, in a greater degree then, Father, even as the Word says, when that which is perfect is come and that which is in part shall be done away with, Lord God. And Father, I thank you as glorious as it is now, there is a more glorious appearing, Lord God, Father, at the resurrection that you promised for us, Lord God. So, Father, we come today asking you to cleanse our hearts, purge us, Lord God, heal our unbelief, Lord God, touch our minds, restore us, Lord God, empower us, cause faith to arise, Lord God, and our enemies to be scattered. Father, forgive us, Lord God, for depending upon the arm of the flesh, Lord God, the, the arm of our efforts, the arm of our governments, the arm of our politicians, Lord God, the arm of the, of the, of the, the economy, Lord God. Father, we don't look to those things. Father, those things are what they are. Lord God, they are diabolical, Lord God, built upon deceit. But Father, we thank you, Lord God, that there's one that sits upon a throne, Lord God.
throne, Lord God, who stands upon the seat of righteousness. And Father, that is our hope, Lord God. That is our deliverer. And we thank you, Lord God, today that we can come to your word, Lord God. And you said that we stand upon that rock, Lord God, that we will not be shaken. So Father, thank you for this day. We ask you just to empower us, to speak to us, Lord God, that your name might be glorified in all the nations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen. Folks, if you're listening live and you're in the area, don't forget, we're going to be hitting the streets all weekend long for our uh, annual bi- uh, uh, Daytona uh, Bike Week outreach. You know, we've got about a half million, they say, estimated bikers that come through the city uh, during that time. I use the bi- word term bikers uh, loosely because not, most of them aren't bikers. Most of them are motorcycle enthusiasts, I call them, who just happen to own a, a two-wheeler. And so, But we're going to go and minister to them and preach the gospel. So if you're in the Daytona Beach area and you want to be a part of that, uh, give me a call. Uh, or email me at raven at bigrace.com. We'd like to connect with you out on the streets and see some people come into the kingdom. I know right here, Pastor Monzel is going to be rolling down sometime this afternoon. He's going to be hooking up with us. He and his lovely wife, Obed, and sister, uh, Darshana, are going to come and be a part. So anybody else that's going to be in the area, we love you. and We want to, we want to go out there and force and uh, be a kind of a, a united front for the kingdom of God. So thank you so much. Folks, listen, we're about to dive into this 20th chapter. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bittersweet, uh, type of situation here. You know, we looked at the last few chapters, uh, chapter 17, we saw the, the fall of that, uh, that spiritual, that mystery Babylon. Chapter 18, we saw the, uh, the fall of the political, uh, Babylon, uh, Babylon the Great, that great city. Chapter 19, uh, we begin to see uh, the, the, the overthrow and the, the fall of those things in the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus in chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And he splits the clouds and here he was. He's come and seated upon a white horse. And all of those that were that had gathered against him were, were cast down and, 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 and the, the enemy was bound. Now we're going to look at this, uh, this 20th chapter, which kind of continues where uh, verse 21 of chapter uh, 19 left off. And I'll give you kind of just a little bit of a of an overview. You know, the the 19th chapter, you know, ended with the, the victory of the armies of heaven over the armies of the earth, and it really wasn't a big fight. You know, Jesus uh, really did it. We get, we just get to be really observers in that battle. And so this happened when Christ returned with with the saints and the angels, and basically what he did, he came to establish uh, his uh, messianic or millennial kingdom. And so the antichrist and the false prophet at this point have been cast into the. Uh, to the lake of fire, and the armies of the kings of the earth have been completely destroyed, with their bodies literally eaten, and their souls cast into Hades. And the, the kingdom of the Messiah is, is, is victorious, and we begin to see this victory materialize. And what happens, the, the resurrected saints, they become the rulers over the earth. Then the nations are going to end up standing before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they're going to stand before that throne. Uh, determine who enters the, the millennial. And so an, an angel uh, ends up binding Satan. I'll give you a little overview real quick. It throws him in the pit for a thousand years. Uh, Satan's unable to influence the world during this period. And during this uh, this millennial, this thousand years, the population of the earth is going to be replenished and multiple people are going to be be born to repopulate the, the, the earth. And so during the millennial, the earth is totally at peace. And the knowledge of God is throughout the earth and as waters cover the sea, the scripture says, and the saints uh, rewarded for faithful service, they're going to be the ones that are going to be administering and overseeing this growing population of the earth once again. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation saints are going to have the authority uh, to rule and reign with Christ during this period. But after a thousand years, what we're going to see in these verses is Satan's going to be released from his, his prison to test or to try 
the nations of this repopulated earth. And so what's going to happen, though, is a lot of people, if you can believe it at this juncture, uh, people are going to still follow him. And they're going to rise in this rebellion once again as they try to come against Jerusalem, that holy city. And this is going to be the final attempt uh, of them to kind of thwart or to stand or circumvent the plan of God. And so what ends up happening, fire falls from heaven. The rebels that are trying to attack Jerusalem uh, are devoured. Satan is cast in the lake of fire. He's going to receive his torment for eternity. Then all of who lost humanity uh, that's in hell, Hades, that portion, resurrected. They're going to come before the great white throne judgment and are going to be judged according to their works. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at. But I'm going to give you a lot of details on there, some things that you may, may not have ever thought about or just never kind of pursued very deeply in this area. And so, folks, here's what's going to happen. Following the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw that, again, uh, Revelation 19, 11 through 16, several events are going to happen. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen is the nations are going to stand in judgment, and the survivors of the earth are going to be brought before Christ's throne to determine who's going to enter into his kingdom. See, because you're going to have people that are going to live. You know, a lot of people are going to be destroyed, but you're going to have people that are alive following this seven-year tribulation. That there's this period of time it's going to ascertain whether they're going to be judged immediately or whether they're going to be allowed to come into this, this realm of the thousand year millennial reign. This is really interesting because the righteous then are going to enter, but the wicked at that point are going to be cast into hell to await the final judgment. Now look at this. This is out of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 33. It, it's really key, and I've said this, uh, numerable times, uh, in, uh, in the study on the Revelation, when you look at Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, when you look at those four synoptic Gospels, what you've got to understand, the primary audience was the Jews. It was that, that group of people. But beyond that, a lot of the prophetic things that it's talking about are not talking about the rapture of the church, which we talked about in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, but they're talking about the second advent, this thing that we've looked at in, in Revelation 19, 11 through, through 16, the second physical coming of him to establish his kingdom. And so with that in mind, listen to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 33. And it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, okay, you, you, undoubtedly you can see 11 through 16 in chapter 19 being the glorious uh, return of the Lord. So when he comes in his glory and all the holy nations, uh, holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now look at this. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate from them one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Now, we, we think about that sometime. We utilize that. Uh, uh, preachers preach that about, you know, now he's separating the sheep and the goats. Really, when that, that, that Matthew 25, 31 through 33, it's talking about what's going to happen immediately following what we saw there in that 21st verse of chapter 19. So it's an issue that's leading up to the, the, the millennial. And so this is a period of 45 days. And so what's going to happen immediately after the seven years leading up to that 45, excuse me, leading up to the, the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, there's going to be a 45 days of, of purification. I'm going to show you where I get that from. And so uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Basically, it tells us that those who survive the tribulation are going to enter into the kingdom, that they're blessed, and they're going to be the ones that repopulate the earth. And so, look at this real quick. It says, this is Daniel 11, 12, 11 through 13. And it says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, 1,290 days. We talked about that. 
Okay? There's that second half of the tribulation after the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist goes in and demands to be worshipped in the temple. Now look at verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, but you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Now do your math. He first gives 1,325 or 1,290 to begin with. But then he says that blesses he who waits 1,335. So do your math. That's 45 days difference between the end of that seven-year period, that time of Jacob's trouble, to the time of the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. And you know what's interesting about that? I told you when we looked at, at, at chapter 4 that from the time of the rapture of the church till the time of the literal beginning of the seven-year tribulation, there's a period of time there. There's a waiting period. There's a time where, where uh, the, the church is taken out of the way before that part begins. And it's a preparation time. It's the exact same thing that's happening right here. A 45-day uh, period of purification is coming. That all those that, that survived physically, people that came out of the tribulation, now they're going to be brought before him, and he's going to determine who are going to go and await uh, judgment and those who get to come in and be a part of that millennial reign. We're going to look at that in detail right here. And so let's look at verses 1 through 3 together. And here's what it says. He said, I saw an angel. And this, once again, this is, this is John again. He's seen an angel. And John got to see a whole lot of stuff. And he said, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Doesn't leave any doubt who it is, does he? I mean, look at, look at he calls him. Calls him the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, calls him Satan. And it says, he bound him up a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him and that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. The, the, the thing I like right there, uh, those four words, and shut him up. How many times have you wanted to say to the devil, you just need to shut up? Folks, the accuser of the brethren been cast down. He's not gonna. He's gonna be bound, and he's not gonna be able to deceive or or influence the nations. He is going to be shut up once and for all. And so that that adversary, that devil that's spoken to your life, that's tried to give the bad report, that that's tried to cause contention and division, that old prince in the power of the air, that old slew foot, that old that old fork tongued devil, he is going to be shut up. And cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And you know, we see, and, and really for, for us as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who have had to contend with that adversary who the scripture says goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. You know what? That's, 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 this is a glorious time for us. And so John, he sees this angel coming from heaven with a key and a chain in his hand. And it's going to be for the purpose of opening up the bottomless pit and locking up the devil. You know, the angel uh, may very well be Michael, the archangel. It doesn't specifically say, but that would be kind of consistent with the scripture, and not just in, in Daniel, but elsewhere. And so it's important here that, though, is that, that Christ is the owner of the keys. You know, we saw it right there in the first chapter. We see it in, in Matthew chapter 18, that, that he's the one that, that holds those keys. And so he gives that authority over to just an angel. It doesn't say Jesus had to come and do it. It doesn't say that there's a big battle. It just says when it comes time for it to happen, folks, that all he does is send an angel, gives him the keys, give him the chain. He says, go, go shut him up for just a, a thousand years. Folks, listen, if we'll get, if we'll, we'll get a grasp on that this isn't just a, a, a battle that's, that's kind of teetering that could go either way. 
Folks, listen, the devil doesn't have a chance. And if you can walk out your life and your faith now, realizing that one day it's going to be just as simple as him saying, okay, time to shut him up. Go get a key. Go get a chain. Here's the keys. Get the chain. Go bind him up. Shut him up for a thousand years because I've got something to do. Folks, if we could get that mentality in our lives now, and we, and we would realize that there's no temptation that comes upon us, but that which is common to all men, with every temptation he provides a way of escape, why can he do that? Why? Because he's the one that binds. He's the one that, that looses. He's the one that all authorities in heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we could walk in that now, then we could have that power. And if you remember the statement in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus said, He said, I am he that lives and was dead. That's the cross. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. There's his resurrection from the death. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. And, you know, he's, he's given this chain that's going to restrain the adversary uh, uh, to this angel. We see a, a similar chain that's referred to in Second Peter 2 and 4. Now, look at this. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And so these are uh, probably the angels that it's speaking of in the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. And so here's another chapter uh, that really seems interesting to me from this perspective. About uh, about uh, Jesus sending that authority to bind the, the the devil, and it's out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter five, verse one through six. And it says, and they came over. This is the disciples coming over with Jesus uh, onto the other side of the sea. It says into the country of the Gadarenes. And it says there, uh, when when Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling amongst the tombs, and no man could bind him, no not even with what chains. Because he had been bound often with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, and neither could any man tame him. He was always night and day uh, crying out, and he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he had to run and worship him. You know, folks, you know the rest of the story that the uh, that that when you know Jesus ended up casting the devil into the swine, uh, demons in the swine, the man was set free. But what that really speaks to me as I was looking at this. Is, you know, when man tries to, to bind the adversary in his own power and his own strength, what the chains are broken. Uh, and, and, you know, we can try as we might, but unless we're walking in his authority, uh, it's not going to uh, be done. And so, But when God does the job, the job stays done. Now think about that in regards to 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so let's 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 flesh that out just a little bit in regards to chapter twenty one, uh, verses one through three. And so there's that power of God to pulling down the strong. Who's the ultimate stronghold? Satan, the devil, that dragon, the serpent, the liar, the accuser of the of the brethren. And so what's going to happen? That accuser of the brethren is cast down. And what? Because there's the authority that we've been given now to pull down strongholds. He's been taken from his place, and he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit. In Matthew sixteen nineteen, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whoever you will bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we see that, that power that's been given to us, that we're going to see it ultimately wielded by the one that has given, uh, has given us that power on loan through the person of Jesus Christ here in the 20, uh, 20th chapter of the book of the Revelation. And so this hell referred to, though, in Second Peter, in what we're talking to here, is uh, the only reference uh, to Tartarus, which is a separate uh, compartment of hell. Uh, and probably these fallen angels, like I mentioned, that were uh, 
part of Genesis 6-2 uh, are probably the ones that are going to be occupying that compartment. And according to Isaiah 14-16, Satan is sent to the abode of the dead and uh, for everybody going to be able to see him in his weakened state. And so he's going to be bound for a period of time. He's going to be placed into the, the place of the fallen dead, not with his uh, pointy ears and pitchfork telling everybody what to do like Dante's Inferno, but he's going to be bound. He's going to be in a condition of ultimate humiliation and defeat, and he's going to be sitting there uh, writhing and withering in his, uh, his defeat for a thousand years. And so, folks, but also note, note this. The, the, the bottomless pit here is not the lake of fire. The bottomless pit here is not the lake of fire in which the, the, the beast and the false prophet were already cast into in chapter 19, verse 20. Rather, what it is, it's a temporary prison where Satan is, is temporarily incarcerated for ten centuries, for a thousand years, uh, this millennial, in order that peace, happiness, prosperity, holiness may exist on the earth for a period of time during Christ's millennial reign. At the end of that time period, he's going to be loosed for a little season. He's going to lead one final rebellion against God. And he's, then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And you'll see that in verse 10 of chapter 20. Now look at verse, uh, verse 4. Here's what he said. He said, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, here's the deal, folks. What John is saying, you know, we, we start out, he said, Here I see. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you what I, what I saw. And I saw an angel come down. And he's seeing all these things transpire. Now what he's going to see is he's going to see these thrones that are occupied for a place of judgment. And the question is, who sits upon them? Well, it's members of the first resurrection. Which is what's going to include. It's going to include the Old Testament saints, those that believed upon him through faith, the church age saints, and the tribulation saints. Those three groups of people are going to be the ones that he sees seated upon these thrones that are going to be given uh, uh, authority and given position of judgment over these people that are going to be coming forward. And so the, the resurrection of the Old Testament believers is described in Daniel 12, 1 and 2. The resurrection of the New Testament saints is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 54. All those passages I've given you before in other sections of the, the study. And so, folks, as we've seen, what happens, the, the resurrection of the martyr tribulation saints is going to occur uh, at that appearing of Christ uh, when he returns to earth. And that is Titus uh, 2.13. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 they presented this picture. And so now we're getting to see exactly what's going to happen. So at that point, the martyrs, they waited their resurrection and were told to wait for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren should be killed and they were and all those things should be fulfilled. Now we're seeing the fulfillment of all those things coming together and these are sitting upon the throne. So we see thrones occupied by resurrected believers from Adam forward, the tribulation martyrs, and each one has been a participant in that first resurrection. And so these saints, as a result, both of that are entitled to sit upon thrones because they're members of the First Peter two nine royal priesthood. And so Christ has made them to be kings and priests. And so we saw that too in chapter five verse ten. And so we have this group of people that are coming together for this period of judgment. Now look what it says in verse five. It says, "But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished." This is the first resurrection. So folks, 
that closing sentence of this verse, look at what it says. It says, this is the first resurrection. It really could have been a part of that chapter, uh, that verse 4, because there's this transition now that's taking place. And it says that those, the rest of the dead did not live again. What were those rest of those dead? Those were those that were not allowed to come in to the millennial reign. Those are the ones that, that were separated as goats from the sheep. Now look at verse 6. This is going to give a further explanation. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so those that were a part of the first resurrection, folks, you know, and that's us. That's we as believers now. Uh, those that under the Old Testament that came to Christ through faith in, in the sacrifice that would come. We that look back at the cross as that work of propitiation for our sins. Listen, it's, listen what it says. It says that blessed is he is, is part of the first resurrection on the second death has no power. Folks, listen. Once that happens to us, we're not sweating and thinking, oh boy, there's another judgment coming. There's something else. It, those, those things have no power over us. We're changed and we're transformed. I know some people read this, oh, now I'm going to have to go before the white throne judgment. Man, I thought of, no folks, that's not for us. That, that Bema seat that we talked about before is where we come and God rewards us according, rewards us, not judges us in regards to condemnation, but rewards us uh, in, in regards to obedience unto Him. So at this point, listen, there's that, that second death has no power over us. We've been changed. We've been transformed. We've been made like Him. We've been handed the rewards. We've been given those positions that God's going to have for us according to the kingdom. We talked about those five crowns and specific things in this lifetime that we do that are going to qualifies for those crowns, those crowns which you're going to speak of the things that God has us do for all eternity. And so we have that, that part. Then those that don't, though, are going to be raised again for that white throne judgment after a thousand years. Now look at this in verse 7 through 9. And it says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and, and, and the beloved city. But fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, folks, I want you to look at a picture right here. Here we have this, this thousand-year reign. And after this thousand-year reign, it says Satan is going to be loosed out of his prison and shall go and deceive the nation. It uses those terms Gog and Magog. We talked about this before in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, Gog and Magog aren't literally, once again, we, we mentioned that that's that, that Russian invasion that's going to come. They're used as a type that just shows just the, the foolishness and just the, the, the audacity and the arrogance of the adversary. Uh, once again, utilizing Gog and Magog is that, you know, people talk about Las Vegas, Nevada, or they talk about New Orleans, they say it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing, Gog and Magog are used as just that, that, that insidious type of uh, effort by the adversary to deceive once again. And so, but here's, here's a picture of this. You have people that are coming in to the millennial reign of Christ who are judged at that portion by the saints and seeing whether or not they're going to be allowed in or not. Now, those people are. Those people are followers of Christ. But here's what you've got to realize. For a thousand years, there's not going to be the tempter. There's not going to be the, the one that comes and brings sin. But people are going to be born in the natural. Not from the resurrection saints because we're going to be in a glorified body. But those that come out of the tribulation, they're going to be physical people that are going to still be married. They're going to still be have that, that ability for procreation. And so you're going to see, look at the city, it says the sands of the sea, it gives the number. So the earth for a thousand years is going to be repopulated. Now, can you imagine a thousand years 
that there's not going to be sickness and disease. There's not going to be the tempter. There's not going to be murder. There's not going to be all these calamities, AIDS and all these things wiped out. You can imagine in a thousand years how fast and how, 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 how multitudinous the, the earth will become as a result of that, that, that replenishing. And so here's the deal. God doesn't ever have anybody that He wants to serve out of obligation. He wants us to serve and to choose Him out of choice. And so what happens is you have the offspring of these tribulation uh, saints and the ones that came out that are now going to replenish the earth that are basically going to serve Him because, what does it say? He come and He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. They're, going to, they're not going to have a choice. The tempter's bound. The, the one that, 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 that came in the garden and tempted mankind and, and offered it, it's not going to happen. Then you're going to, and plus, you're going to have the, the, the saints, us, in glorified bodies serving as kings and priests. And so you're going to have people in physical bodies that are limited, yet without sickness or disease. But you're also going to have we, as the resurrected saints in glorified bodies, that are going to be basically governors, kings, priests, authorities over these people. And so they're not going to have a choice until after the thousand-year reign of who they're going to serve. The sad thing is, is that you know while some are going to serve not because they have to, but some are going to uh, uh, serve because they've chosen, they've recognized Him as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But when the adversary shows up and tempts them, it says that they're going to gather. Look what it says: compass the city about the beloved city, and fire came down. But it says there's going to be a number that's going to be like the sand of the sea. Think about all those again that are going to rebel against the righteousness of God. They're going to grow up a thousand years seeing nothing but peace. They're going to see nothing but virtue. They're going to see nothing but holiness. They're going to see nothing but righteousness. But given the first chance, what are they going to do? They're going to rebel. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why is that? I'm fixing to tell you. It's a great question. Because even though they're born during the millennial, because the final white throne judgment hasn't happened, those people still are born with that Adamic nature of choice. They're still given that Adamic nature, that, that fallen nature. They just have not had the opportunity to exercise it because the choice of unrighteousness has never been presented to them. But as soon as they get that, what happens? Boom. They begin to rebel against God. The thing about it is, now it's not going to be this age age-long thing. As soon as they rebel against God, they rise up with the Antichrist to attack the holy city of Jerusalem. What's going to happen to them? Boom, fire's going to come down from heaven. They're going to be uh, annihilated on the spot, cast into the, to the lake of fire for a final judgment. And so, we've got to look at just how, exactly how that's going to play out for that thousand-year millennial reign. And, you know, we talk about, God, is there going to be rewards? Is there going to be levels? Absolutely there is. And we, we really dealt with this a lot and, uh, in our last chapter. Uh, we're talking about that Bema seat and how God is going to reward every man according to his works. There's going to be responsibilities, folks. They're going to be measured out and meted out. And we're going to look at, and, and I think, too, when we think about eternity, uh, a lot of people just kind of just think about just this, this being in heaven and all, what you're going to find out is a lot of the things that you just assume because that's what you've heard or seen through Hollywood. It's not going to be the case. You're going to find out the, the, the work and the occupation of the earth and what God has called us to do for eternity, the roles that we're going to have and all these things in the next two chapters that, that may cause you to scratch your head and say, you know what? I never looked that far into it and saw. So, folks, if we think we're just going to sit around on a cloud for thousands of years and uh, for eons, you know, playing a harp, and, and we're, that's not even what the Scripture teaches. That's more of a Hollywood or just the, the short-sightedness of the church. There's going to be responsibilities. There's going to be uh, jobs to be done. And those things are going to be measured and meted out as what? Be not deceived. God is not uh, mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so if I reap righteousness in here, 
I'm storing up for myself treasures in heaven. Those treasures are those five crowns that we mentioned that puts us in places of authority for all eternity. Is there going to be a, a bad situation? There's not going to be a bad one. But are there going to be things that God honors? Absolutely. God is going to honor faithfulness and righteousness just as we studied uh, in chapter uh, 19. And so, again, Satan's going to be loosed at the end of this thing. The rebellion is going to be squashed. And look what it says in verse 10. It says, The devil that deceives them is going to be cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the prophet, false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. Folks, this is going to be the end, verse 10, of the deceiver of the ages. It's going to be lights out for the adversary. No more is he going to be uh, able to uh, deceive the nations. No more is he going to be able to come. He's going to be given that... that that he's going to be used as a tool, really, for the judgment of God and for, for God to purify people unto himself. And he's going to be uh, placed, basically, in a place that's prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, uh, 41. And so, you know, all these centuries, everything that we've led up to, everything that's, 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 that's happened over, uh, over really, the, the, the millennia, it's going to lead up to this point, his final destruction. Now it's going to be arrive, it's going to arrive. He's going to experience continual torment day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And so we see that. So here's what we need to do. Let's, let's kind of digress just for a second here. And because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people uh, that have kind of a misconception about hell even. You know, we're talking about misconceptions about heaven, but also a misconception about hell. You know, whenever people see... Uh, Heaven or in hell, you know, heaven, they see the angels with the harps. Hell, they see the pitchfork little devil that's running around and, 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 and stoking the, the, the fires of hell against his hapless uh, victims. And he's got the pitchfork. Folks, listen, Satan will not have any followers in hell. You see what I'm saying? He's not going to have those. He's, we're going to see that he's observed. He's going to, he's, he's, he hadn't even ever been in hell until the millennial. And you know, that brings up something as well. You see, there's whole doctrines that are brought out about this devil and hell type thing that, that when Jesus died upon the cross, and I've touched on this a time or two, but, uh, you know, uh, some major uh, television ministries, they'll, they'll teach that, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he was drugged into hell by Satan. He was tormented there for, uh, for three days. Folks, listen, that's, a, that's, a, that's erroneous. That's a, that's a doctrine of devils. The devil would like people to think that he's got control of hell, but he doesn't. The one that holds the keys to the bottomless pits is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Satan has never been there. You show me someplace in Scripture up to this point that he's ever been in that place. And you know what? Man, I'll apologize and go on record as saying, man, I just blew it. But I've looked through those 31,101 verses of Scripture, and I've not seen one instance where he's been there. That's a holding place in a place of torment. It's not his place where he has his, his, uh, his demonic board meetings and he begins to talk about he's going to torment people. That's just not the case. But because that erroneous teaching has gone forth, people say that Jesus was drugged down in torment and suffered his hands. Folks, that's just a lie. And so if you hear that stuff, you need to begin to challenge that and be Acts 17, 11, Berean-like and say, listen, I'm going to search the Scriptures to see if it's so. And so, as we've already learned, Satan has been the God of this world or this God of this world system. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 will tell you that. He's the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2. He's the, 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 the ruler of heavens 1 and 2. In other words, terra firma up to uh, that, that second heaven and the the, the aerial or the, the, the stellar places. And uh, he's going to retain that position until he's cast out of heaven, which was in chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And so then we learn that after he's cast out of heaven, lost that authority, he'll reign on the earth, for uh, have his ability to torment and have his authority on the earth for 42 months of the tribulation period. But upon Christ's return to the earth, Satan is bound 
in the bottomless pit, following the millennial, he's released for a short period. Finally, he's going to be cast into to hell or the lake of fire and brimstone where he's going to be tormented for all eternity. And so you need to understand these holding places that's going to happen. Prior to the final judgment that we're going to talk about, it's kind of like being in a county jail. And that's what, the, that's what he's going to be in for the millennial. After that, he's going to be loaded up in chains and taken to that place of ultimate torment like the, the ultimate uh, penitentiary. And now, listen, I want you to look at something. Here's, here's probably one of the most... Uh, eye-opening and you know shudder to see uh, portions in the Revelation. It's right here in verses 11 through 15. And here's what John said. He said, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. In other words, when you stand before God, I don't care all your excuses, all your tongue wagging, they're going to come to an end. And, and folks, you know, this kind of breaks my heart when I think about this situation that's going to happen here in verse 11. You know, you have all these people that are so brazen and so brash in their denial of who Jesus Christ is. And, you know, I've, over the years I've talked to, you know, literally hundreds of people that just refuse to acknowledge who he is. They, they blaspheme his name. They, they, they laugh when you offer them uh, the hope of salvation. But something's going to happen one day. Heaven and earth and their, their face are going to flee away. They're not going to be opening up their cho their chops and challenging him and talking about Darwin's theory. They're not going to be dealing with any of those things. They're going to come in contact at the wet, great white throne, the throne of judgment. And uh, their hearts are going to fail for fear. And here's what he said. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. He said, I saw the dead, small and great. Another rendering of those Greek words is young and old. I, I preached the message. I got invited to go and preach to a youth group one time. And, uh, which, you know, at the time I never really did. I, didn't, I always preached to quote-unquote adults. And the Lord took me and I preached actually this, this, this verse right here to a group of youth. And I said, here's the deal. I got news for you. There are no teenagers in hell, in, uh, in, in heaven, excuse me, but hell is full of them. And I, I made the point that in heaven, listen, we're all coming in by the same blood. In hell, if you want to call yourself a teenager and say, you got, I said, go for it. But when he saw the dead, small and great, young and old, you're not going to be able to say, well, I was too young. Or you're not going to say, I was too old. You're going to say, well, well, I, I didn't have a chance. He said, I saw them all. Young, old, great, small, educated, uneducated, uh, 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 civilized, uncivilized. Regardless of who you were, I saw them stand before God. And it says, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And he said, I, and all those people were judged according to their works. Do you have any idea why they're going to be judged according to their works here in, in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation? That's all they have. They don't have anything. They don't have to be like we are at the, at the Bema seat, judged through the veiled blood of Jesus Christ and our faithfulness to Him, created unto good, good works. They're going to be judged by their own works, which are going to be self-righteousness which is going to be like filthy rags the only thing they're going to have to be standing before is the things that they did in this lifetime and folks listen every single one of those things are going to be burned up 
They can say, well, I gave to the United Way. They can say, well, I helped build uh, orphanages or dig wells in, in, in Africa. They can say all of those things. But when those things are looked at in light of the one who sits upon the throne of glory, they're going to be found repulsive. They're going to be found wicked. They're going to say, well, God, I took care of my family. Or, well, God, I had a good job. Or, God, I paid my bills on time. Or, God, I did this and that. Folks, none of those good efforts of man are going to be measured up. They're going to be judged according to their works. And their sins are going to outweigh anything that they could do in this life. And it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, in those holding places. And they were judged every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, listen. The good intentioned people are not in the book of life. Do you hear me? I don't care who they are. I don't care how nice they are. There's only one way into the book of life, and that is through repentance and faith towards God. Faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. If you're listening today and uh, you're saying, well, listen, I'm, I'm doing good, and you know everybody's got their own... Yeah, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. And uh, regardless of, of what you think uh, or what your opinion might be, at the end of the day, you're, what you think and what your opinion are not going to measure up. Jesus Christ is the one that's going to be seated upon the throne of glory, and, uh, and, and he's going to be the one to judge you. I had an older man come by me the other day when I was witnessing on the streets, and he stopped by, and I, I gave him a, uh, I had a track that said, Are you the one, quoting from Matthew 18, uh, 11 through 14, about the lost sheep? And he said, Listen, about, he said, 30 something years ago, he said, I did all that. He said, I've given up on that stuff. I don't even believe in God. And I looked at him, and I said, You know the thing about it is, sir? I said, God doesn't need you to validate Him. But one day, you'll need Him to validate you. And so, folks, you don't have to believe in God at all. But one day, everybody will be a believer. There's, there's going to be a, a day and age where there will be no atheist whatsoever, anywhere. Why? Because everyone will believe in Him. Unfortunately, some will believe too late. They'll believe and they'll bow their knee. You know, as the Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Whether it be in heaven, here we go, earth, or even under the earth, Right there, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what? Satan being bound, cast in the lake of fire for eternity, you know what he's going to continually have to say? That Jesus Christ was the Lord. All those people that rejected him, the evolutionists, the, uh, the, uh, the false religious teachers, the secular humanists, the, the, the environmentalists, whoever they may be that put their faith in something else, you know what they're going to have to do for eternity? While they're burning in agony, they're going to have to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Folks, wouldn't it be better in all of our lives to do it now? To acknowledge Him, His Lordship in our thoughts, in our lives? Why? Because folks, this life is but a vapor. I, I said the other day, you know, if we if we say to ourselves as believers that, you know, if apart from the grace of God that all we deserve is hell, why are we complaining so much when things don't go our way? Folks, listen, we need to knuckle down in our faith towards God and say, regardless of what happens in this life, whether it be good, whether it be bad, Listen, I want to be able to stand before you, not in my own righteousness or my own good works, but I want to stand before you and have the blood of Jesus speak on my behalf and say, not guilty. They put their faith where it needed to be put. And so, again, John says, I saw the great white throne. You know, that, that term uh, I saw is found 37 times in the book of Revelation. 37 times John got to see. You know, this time, it, it, it's really kind of what could be viewed as his, the most gloomiest thing that he could ever see. You know, as bad as all the judgments were, as bad as all the, the plagues were, as the vile judgments and the, and the seals, as bad as those were, folks, I don't think John saw anything as bad as this. 
because there's a finality here. It's like, you know what, folks? It's appointed that the man wants to die. Then judgment. There's no more chances. You know, no, Notice there's no purgatory in this story. There's no uh, purgatory as taught by the Catholic cult. There's, there's none of that. There's no second chance praying them out. There's no baptizing the dead as taught by the Mormon cult. There's none of that here. There's either faith towards God through the, the, through the shed blood of His Son Jesus, faith in the finished work of the cross, walking in righteousness, or there's nothing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by Him. And so this is that gloomy time in history, the judgment of the wicked, as well as, as Christ seated upon the white throne. Folks, listen, white is a symbol. It talks about a white throne. White's a symbol, obviously, of purity. It's also a symbol of justice. It's a symbol of, of holiness and righteousness. And the Scripture says in uh, Isaiah 1.18, it says, Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And uh, it says in uh, chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, I think it was. Yeah, and it says, uh, It was granted unto her that she should be arrayed in, in fine linen, clean and white, for the white linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so white stands for all that's honorable, all that's good, all that's righteous, all that's holy. And so it also speaks to the integrity of Christ, who is the truth in John fourteen sixteen, It's him, the, the, the judge, and he's the one that's going to be seated in, in judgment. And so this picture is a great judgment that's about to fall on those who have rejected so great of a salvation, Hebrews 2 and 3. And so let me ask you a question. How does one know that this loving Jesus is the one who sits upon the throne as judge? Well, John five twenty two. It says, For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto his Son. And so again, the Father has given him authority to exercise this judgment because he is the Son of Man and the Son of God, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 27. And so we see this whole picture unfolding. We see uh, exactly what's going to happen. And it says, uh, I'm going to go back to chapter 7. When the thousand years expired, Satan shall be loose. He'll go out and see the nations. Uh, Gog and Magog jump down. Saw the dead, verse 12, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written according to their, their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, whose ever name was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. There's the finality of judgment. So if you're waiting, people say all the time, well, what about... Uh, the murderers? What about the child abusers? What, folks, if, if you're one of those, what about the abortionist? Listen, everything's going to be revealed in that day. It's waiting. They are, they are laying up for themselves judgment. They are. You know, for us, there's the, the fiery trial. But for them, there's a certain fiery indignation that's going to await them on the day of this judgment. So, if you're walking in that type of thing, if you're walking in, in wickedness, Folks, now's the time to repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tomorrow when we start, we're going to look into this new heavens and this new earth and show you some things maybe, once again, that you haven't thought about in regards to uh, uh, through eternity. You know, eternity is kind of hard to grasp because we're always looking at time in, uh, in, 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 in terms of, of increments of time. Folks, once we enter in, in, into eternity, there's time no more. It's time. It's It's everlasting. Every day is brand new. Everything is in the now because we're going to see as he saw. So kind of just wrap it up. What we see here in verse 20, angels going to come down from heaven, going to bind Satan. Satan will be bound a thousand years. During that thousand years, the earth's going to be replenished. People are going to be born. Uh, we're going to be, as those of the first resurrection, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus. At the end of that thousand years, he's going to be loosed. 
a multitude of people are going to choose rebellion over righteousness. Immediately it's going to be squashed. The great white throne, uh, all of those that did not know him, the books are going to be opened. Their names are not going to be found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're only going to be judged according to things that they did in this lifetime, good, bad, indifferent. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire with the devil, the false prophet, and with those that walked in unrighteousness. So, folks, let's... Out of time today. We'll be back tomorrow and launch into that 21st chapter. Uh, it ought to put an urgency in every one of us. I don't want anyone to have to stand before that. I know there's going to be a multitude. It is, but man, God, send us to that one. You know, where's the one that you've left the 99 and gone to? God, let us go find the one today. Folks, out of time. If you have questions, comments, send those to raven at biggrace.com. Raven at biggrace.com. Love to answer the question. Prayer request. Send them to pray at biggrace.com. I got one bit of advice for you today as we close out. Get into God's Word. And God's Word will get into you.